Governor Bill Lee meets with Representative David Byrd's alleged victim in an interview with State Senator Steve Dickerson. Welcome to Grand Divisions. This is the week of March 18th. I'm Joel Ebert. And I'm Natalie Allison. This is uh, an interesting week of recapping, a lot of development in the legislature and in the uh, governor's administration. Uh, first and foremost, late in the week, uh, Natalie, you got a, a you know a heads up that this meeting was going to happen between Christy Rice and uh, Governor Bill Lee. Uh, for a little bit of background, explain to listeners what that was all about. Yes. So Christy Rice, if you're unfamiliar with the, the ongoing situation with Representative David Byrd, he's a Republican lawmaker from Waynesboro. Uh, Christy Rice is one of three women who last year uh, came forward and said that David Byrd had sexually assaulted them while they were teenagers playing on his basketball team that he coached at Wayne County High School back in the 80s. Christy Rice is now 48 years old, but she says that this took place when she was 15. Uh, after they these these women came forward last year with these allegations, uh, Speaker Beth Harwell, she was, she was leading the House at the time, called for David Byrd to resign, as did Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally. Uh, I think even Marsha Blackburn spoke out saying that that these allegations against David Byrd were disgusting, you know, if they were true. Um, but since then, uh, Glenn Cassida is, is now speaker. He has thrown his support behind David Byrd, both in his reelection this past fall and in appointing him to chair an education subcommittee. Um, so at this point, there's been a back and forth between sort of the, the Cassida crew and uh, these women and the organization supporting them about whether they're telling the truth. And uh, this all sort of culminated this past week in the governor taking a meeting with Christy Rice. So at this meeting, it sounded like uh, it was the governor and uh, one other member of his inner Brandon circle. Brandon Gibson, yes. She is. Uh, she was the only female uh, state court of appeals judge. She was from the western part of the state, but took a job as uh, a senior advisor with Billy. And essentially, you met with uh, Rice right after the meeting. What was kind of the gist of of what she had said to the governor? And and did he offer any reaction? So I I did meet with her right after she she had that meeting with the governor. Um, You know, she came out and said that she felt she felt hopeful. She she told me she felt like the governor believed her, uh, but he didn't, he didn't offer any, any answers, any solutions, any commitments. Um, she said his, his, his facial expressions looked like he was surprised and he was shocked, maybe even disgusted at what he was hearing as she was outlining sort of the timeline and what, what had taken place. But it, I think it's noteworthy that he didn't really offer many words. Uh, it seems like based on what he has said in the past, and based on what she described from that meeting, he is trying to take seriously her allegations, but he also isn't rushing to any judgment at this point. So it remains to be seen if he is going to call for David Byrd to do anything. Here's a little clip from that interview that Natalie did with Christy Rice. I'm hopeful that he is the man that I felt like I was meeting. Uh, I'm hopeful that he, um, I'm just very hopeful that he will step up and can I hope he can see what a difference he can make because he he could make a difference he can hold people accountable that otherwise will never be held accountable and he's got that power to do that and I'm hopeful 
the meeting uh, that Christy Rice had with the governor really kind of ratchets up the uh, conversation around the legislature on this issue. I, I think for a while, everybody had thought, okay, these folks are coming week to week, attending David Byrd's hearings, and they're just going to continue to do that. Um, this changes the conversation from people who are just sitting in a room holding signs and and, and potentially you know confronting uh, uh, David Byrd about the situation to now uh, sort of this political hot potato. Uh, you've got you know, the governor who works every day with the speaker to try and pass his legislation, suddenly making a, a move that one could argue undermines the speaker. Yeah. And it, it, it does uh, legitimize some of what Christie and, and these other women are saying that that the governor would take a meeting to them. It has been uh, really easy so far for Cassida to to dismiss their claims, saying, I think he said um, what they're believing isn't true. He said something like that. He's he's been Some, careful not to call them liars, but or, he basically but did confused, yeah, more or less confused, or you know they're just they've convinced themselves that something happened that didn't. Uh, that's sort of how he's dismissed their claims and has said the the voters have spoken. But Bill Lee agreeing to take a meeting with this woman who, you know, Cassida and, and, and others have written off does say a lot and it, it keeps us going. It, it, it doesn't, it doesn't put the brakes on anything. If anything, it, it could speed up this process of, of something having to happen. Either the governor will also have to get behind David Byrd or or maybe speak out against him. A lot unresolved still. We have yet to hear from the speaker in reaction to this meeting. We haven't heard much from the governor's office yet, so we're going to continue to ask those questions. In other legislative news for the week, uh, we had several stories, including one most recently from you, Natalie, uh, that was about uh, legislatures, uh, I guess their budget increasing over uh, over the last uh, few sessions, specifically this this year, uh, tell us a little bit about that one. Yeah, well, this was this was sort of a follow story to the story you had last week about uh, spending in the speaker's office increasing, uh, and we took a look at basically how the the legislature's budget request this year stacks up to all the other state departments and agencies, and we found that it's significantly higher. Whereas most of these departments and agencies have maybe a 05 percent increase uh, or maybe even negative two percent in their budgets. Uh, The legislature, which of course is a small portion of the total budget, uh, has a almost 15 percent increase over last year. And um, really the only other category that that was in double digits was was like miscellaneous appropriations or something like that. But every other department is is either cutting back or very modest increases. Um, and, And what we also looked at was was how some of the conservative policy groups like the Beacon Center, which puts out its pork report, like Americans for Prosperity Tennessee, have have declined to speak out against um, this increasing spending by the legislature itself. So no reaction from those organizations, but there was some reaction from a couple members within the the uh, Republican uh, caucus, I guess. Yeah. So we, we have Representative Jeremy Faison, who spoke all on the record saying if this were increasing expenditures by the Democrats running the legislature, there would be outcry from Republicans. And and he also said that, you know, maybe the this investment into increasing efficiency by, you know, doubling the number of research analysts, et cetera, maybe it will uh, pay off by there being a shorter session and whatnot. But uh, he basically was saying, you know, this is hypocrisy. I did. I spoke to another Republican member um, on background who, who said that this, the spending in Castor's office was evidence of, of political favors and that it wasn't fiscally conservative. 
Another uh, story from this week that we need to highlight was a story I did on pre-meetings. Uh, essentially, last week was a, um, a sunshine week, which is kind of a, a national effort to shine light on, on open government. Uh, Natalie and I, in the last month or so, had been attending several of what are called pre-meetings. Uh, they're these legislative meetings that occur in the House before the actual committee hearings. And oftentimes, you will see uh, lobbyists presenting bills. You'll see lawmakers say, oh, this is a good bill. This is a bad bill. Uh, you'll see just kind of a, a, a willy nilly freewheeling atmosphere that almost looks like it's orchestrating what is going to happen in the actual committee. Um, the issue with these are the fact that, generally speaking, the public does not come to these, uh, partially because they're very early, they're in sporadic locations. Held in people's offices? They're held in some offices, and even in the speaker's uh, conference room for some of them, as well as the fact that there is kind of an obscure place where you can find out about these public meetings uh, on the legislature's website. So it appears pre-meetings are going to continue, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, they've been going on for several years. Uh, the House defends them, say that they help them become more organized, but critics, including some lobbyists who have attended these, uh, say that they're not very open, not very transparent. Again, kind of difficult to find uh, where they may be uh, on the state's website, as uh, I've had to show several reporters as well as lobbyists. You had to show me. Yeah, and, uh, where the actual it listing is. under is. the legislators tab. It makes no sense. And uh, it, sometimes, occasionally, uh, the meetings do change location and you don't know about it. So, Again, transparency. If you care about it, you know, maybe uh, uh, feel free to write your local lawmaker. If you don't, that's fine. Um, anyway, so the next section that we talked about briefly is the governor's ESA education savings account. Um, essentially, the governor came out with additional details late last week. It sounds like it will cost $125 million at least through 2024 to implement this program. Uh, his office has still yet, uh, uh, you know, provided additional details, but there's a lot of questions, including uh, which students can apply for this, the, the thresholds that they identified, uh, the check and balance system that they are trying to implement. So lawmakers are still tackling that. It will be up in a committee, we've been told, this week in the House. This week on the podcast, we have with us Senator Steve Dickerson, a.k.a. Nashville's only Republican lawmaker. The vice chairman. The vice chairman, <laughs> as Eric Shelzik has in this week's Tennessee Journal. Did you why did, did you tell him that? How did how it was did that just happen? A, it was just a joke. One of one of my <laughs> colleagues called me that because I have carried the cannabis bill for five years now, and I have a gambling bill, and I'm chairman of state and local, and all the alcohol bills come through there. So I sort of have sponsored a so lot of the sort that's of. That's why you have all the alcohol yes. bills. One of the quirky things in Tennessee, and I'll shut up when you tell me to, <laughs> is we have this this weird thing where you have all these workarounds in the liquor laws, and I mean the whole it's very arcane sort of thing. But but we we pass a lot of bills to allow liquor by the drink in various places or change the. The law is just for like one square mile or one golf course and things like that. So they just sort of bring me the bills, and I, I understand them. And so I, I probably had fifteen or twenty, hmm. you know, alcohol bills, some some number like that. And so I'm the vice chairman, according to some. <laughs> the the doctor promoting uh, smoking, drinking, and gambling. <laughs> well, not to be not not, not smoking, not smoking, not smoking, not smoking. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, let's get into this. Uh, so you you are from Nashville. Uh, obviously, there's always bills affecting Nashville that are going to come from the legislature. But sure. of of note, this session is the bill to put, as the Republicans say, guardrails on right. the Community Oversight Board, right. which is a civilian police oversight board. 
talk talk about that bill. What, what is your perspective as a Nashville Republican on that bill? So my thoughts, it, it's kind of like peeling an onion. There's always another layer, and the deeper you go, the more it makes you cry sort of thing. Um, so my first thought was, as a voter, I did not support it. I voted against it, and most of my constituents voted against it. As a Nashvilleian, however, it, I think it was 57-43. And so the city, county, you know, it passed by 14 points. Then there's sort of the philosophic argument that my colleagues all make, the ones who pass or propose bills that deal with Nashville specifically or the big four cities specifically. But strangely, it's mostly Nashville that, that sort of is the, you know, the, the focus of a lot of these bills, whether last year was the Airbnb bill, for example. Uh, a couple of years ago, it was the Uber bill. Um, but so their, their point would be that the charter in the, con- well, in the state constitution, they it allows the state to charter cities. Therefore, every city, in fact, is sort of a an appendage, if you will, of state government. As a result, we have ultimate authority in the General Assembly as to how those um, subdivisions behave, act, and whatnot. And so that, that's their argument, is that ultimately we're the, the arbiters of what is appropriate throughout the state. Um, and so you know, depending on how you look at it, it's like looking at a diamond. You know, there are a lot of different facets. Depends on, you know, kind of where you stand is sort of based on where you sit. Um, I tend to side with the police, and, you know, as a general in law enforcement. I, I think these men and women are putting their lives in jeopardy for us on a day-to-day basis. And But then there's the constitutional argument, and then there's the local determination argument. So it's, it's very complex. Uh, the bill has been amended at least once and I believe twice now. And though I will not name names, um, uh, I, there are a lot of pretty active, prominent people in Nashville who are Democrats who think that the bill that will pass actually will sort of um, uh, sort of amend, if you will, the, the charter amendment that passed. Um, it will actually make it pretty good, pretty serviceable public policy. Nobody particularly likes the, the process. I don't think anybody across the state likes the, the process it's gone through. So we've kind of arrived at this sort of strange place where the, you know, Mike Bell, who sits next to me, is the guy who's sponsoring the bill, has, has brought the bill, brought the bill, brought the bill. We've sort of jousted, you know, I'm going to stop you, I'm going to support you sort of thing. And, and as a result of sort of the give and take in politics, they've gotten to a point where most people actually think it's pretty good policy, but the process is sort of the issue. There's obviously two different versions of it right now. One right. in the Senate that uh, allows sort of a limited version of subpoena power. Right. The House version that just passed doesn't. Uh, right. Do you favor one over the other? So um, actually, in the the House, to be fair, has an amendment about the um, inaction date, if you will, of, of the, the state mm-hmm. um, guardrails. And so what I actually, if one of them is going to pass, I'd actually favor one that has both amendments mm-hmm. in it. But what about on the subpoena issue? Do, do you are you in favor of this this amendment that the Senate has brought to allow an, an independent investigator on behalf of the the oversight board to to petition a judge for a subpoena? So so let me be blunt. You you know the amendment better than do I because because <laughs> as you see previous comments, uh, yeah, I'm I'm a um, committee chairman now, and so a lot of times yeah, you've got bills, a lot to keep up with. Yeah, okay, yeah, so, let's so just I've, say this: should there, should there be a way for these boards to maintain some level of subpoena power or some pathway to getting a subpoena? Right. And, and I believe that's the direction we're going. And and I think I think the bill, as I understand it, as amended, allows for that. The and, Senate version, yeah. yeah. Okay, so you're good yep, with that. Yep. 
So uh, moving on from that subject, uh, you're kind of our hodgepodge guest. We're going to ask you all kinds of... (laughs) We're curious your thoughts on all all sorts of issues. We can talk about Game of Thrones. Let's get to your your home base, medical marijuana. Sure. Um, You, from what I understand, before the session, you were planning to introduce a bill that was uh, this this Trump Act, I think the acronym. Um, uh, It's some form of medical marijuana. There's another version of a a medical marijuana bill uh, that we talked about on the podcast last week. What's the step? Status of yours, um, uh, you know what, what's happening with it. Sure. So my bill is alive and well. We're going to have a press conference Wednesday to announce it. Uh, I'm expecting, as we speak, today's Friday when we're, we're recording this. I'm expecting what I think is the penultimate version of the bill. There, there are still, well, there still is one policy area in terms of licensure that we've not worked out. But the fact is, I, my house sponsor Brian Terry. And then the the sponsors of the other bill actually had a meeting on Wednesday night, I think it was, three hours, hmm. hammered out about 85% of our differences. And we need to get through just a couple of things. And, and the way the licenses are going to be, um, whether they're going to be geographical in nature, whether it's going to be an urban component or rural component, things like that, uh, is really the last major policy difference we have. And it's my task over the weekend to come up with compromise language hmm. that will keep everybody happy. What I anticipate, though I do not guarantee, is that we will have one bill that the four of us will get behind, and then we'll get our sponsors and co-sponsors. That, and so my, my hope is that these bills become one under the umbrella of my bill. And and the idea being um, that if you suffer from a number of maladies, you, you know, may... Uh, I, I don't know that you have specifics you're ready to say yet, but sure. that you could obtain uh, some form of medical cannabis Correct. Um, to to treat that. Uh, you couldn't, from what I understand, the latest version I had heard was you couldn't smoke this. That's, it would just be oil-based. Is, is that right? That's correct. Okay. And, and one of the sort of the um, details, and this is a little granular we're trying to work out, is oil-based, if you vaporize that, is, is that... You know, where does that fall on sort of the smoking continuum? Sure. And, and I would tell you, the key component to me is that it doesn't have raw leaf. And so so this is not a, a plant. Rolling up yeah. a joint. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. And so, and just to, to drill down on that a little bit further, I'm really adamant that, that what we want to see is a dose response curve. And with a leaf, you have less control and less certainty. Whereas if you have a refined product, Mm -hmm. and in this case, in the form of an oil, let's say it's 10 milligrams of THC and 5 milligrams of CBD, you give it to a patient by some route or another, and then you get a dose right there. And then Mm -hmm. you have a response and you say, well, that's enough. That's too little. Or we're not getting a response. Try something else. Hmm. Well, we'll be sure to to keep an eye on what you guys do in next week or so. Something else I wanted to ask you about is uh, some of the abortion bills moving through the General Assembly. Uh, The House just passed the fetal heartbeat bill. Uh, There was a couple, you know, Republican members who had expressed concerns about uh, potential litigation down the road with that. Um, What's going to happen with that in the Senate? So... um if you look at, at sort of who's the, the, in my opinion, the gold standard for the pro-life movement in Tennessee, it's, it's Tennessee right to life. And I believe they are opposed to yes, this bill. Yes, which has opposed this bill. Right. Repeatedly. And so uh, over the past, I've been in office now for seven years, I've, I've stayed pretty close in terms of my voting and policy with them. They're, I think they're very reasonable and, and they're pro-life and, and they look at things in a very um, measured sense. And so I think if they're opposed to it, it, it probably has an uphill battle in the Senate. 
Um, and so, so I, I would, it would surprise me if it passes, but, uh, I've been surprised by a lot of things in the past. So <laughs> do you think it'll make it out of committee in the Senate? Um, that's a good question. I think at this point, I, I wouldn't bet money on it one way or the other, but I think it's got an uphill battle in, in committee. And if it, if it does make it to the floor, do you know what, what you're going to do? So I'm going to stay with Tennessee right to life. So you, you yep. would vote against this. Yep. Okay. I, I haven't seen the bill, and, sure. and I it could see it, and, and amendments and yeah. things like that. Certainly. So, in, in its current form, unless Tennessee Right to Life changes their position, I'm, I'm sorry. Do you know of, of any kind of amendments that would make you feel more comfortable with can't, it? Or can't imagine. But I but I have been I've I've seen bills undergo dramatic, miraculous changes from from you know one committee to another before they get to the floor and things like that. So I always feel like I need to have sort of a caveat. You know, assuming it doesn't get amended, here's where I am. The governor's most significant piece of legislation, arguably, is education savings accounts. It hasn't come up yet, but it's supposed to this week. Um, You know, is this, generally speaking, that the Senate's been the easier uh, road for voucher bills in the past. Is this a bill that, you know, you could see it's going to languish for a year? Is this something that this year it is going to happen? Any predictions on that that you can give? So... um there are a couple of things I would recommend, and that is if I if I invest in a stock, you not buy it because my I'm basically zero for lifetime. <laughs> um, and the second thing is, based on my um, predictions for the success or failure of educational savings accounts or vouchers, you should basically take the opposite. <laughs> you know, the over or the under, whatever it is, take, take the opposite from me. I thought it was going to pass several times in the hmm. past. This is a bit of a different angle, and this, this is different enough – that it might take two years for this to pass because mm-hmm. there are some significant changes, not the least of which is a an account that you can use like a debit card mm-hmm. to, to get, um, you know, uh, what's where I'm looking for, not counselors, but uh, tutors. You can get tutors, you can buy supplies, it can be used by School homeschoolers. School uniforms, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so that's a pretty dramatic difference. And, it, and a lot of money behind it. Right. It, so $25 million this year. Yeah. 25 next year. Yep. It doesn't really start until 21, 22. Right. And so, so it's going to build up a pretty good chunk of money. Um, the one thing, there, there are a couple of features I do like about it, though, and that is it, it's got a cap on it to begin with. Um, it focuses on, on low income at 200% of uh, free and reduced lunch, you mm-hmm. know, that, that, that criteria, um, failing schools, things like that. So, so I think, I think it has some good parameters around it, but I would also say, um, that that the devil is in the details as always, so we'll we'll wait and see. I've, okay. I've, my my support will depend on how it gets written. Okay. Another uh, Lee administration bill is this this one to put SROs in schools right. around the state. Uh, sure. When the the House, I think it was Judiciary Committee the other day, uh, was discussing the bill. I think it was Judiciary. Uh, Three three different members basically spoke up and said, "We think this might be a waste of money. Um, this oh. is a lot of money. This is you know right. thirty million dollars. Um, maybe there are other ways we could improve school security besides sure. doing this. What do you think?" So I think the expenditure. Well, so let me say this: what what's you always ask? What's the problem? What are we what are we trying to solve here? And that is, we're trying to make our schools safer. So I actually have a, a bill, ERBO or red flag bill. Which would try we were to ask you about yeah, that yeah, too. Well, yeah, well, so I, I figured I would save you the time. <laughs> sure. here. Um, and so one one theory is to go ahead and try to get guns out of the hands of people who are a threat to themselves or others. 
I came out for this bill several months ago, and as you can imagine, I've gotten some very interesting emails oh, and sure. interesting phone calls. <laughs> um, there are a lot of four-letter words that uh, heretofore had not uh, not been exposed to, at least in that frequency, I would say. Um, a lot of names I've been called. And shortly after I came out for that bill, President Trump had a, a panel head, headed by Betsy DeVos that came out for the same thing. And there's a verbatim quote in this report saying President Trump would like all 50 states to have red flag laws. And so, so I'm, I'm kind so of, so you're a, prescient. I'm a, th- I'm, well, I'm a thought leader. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> a th- I, yeah. Um, and, um, and, and I'll, by the way, he's also come up for daylight saving time year round too. I might add. So That's also the next talk question. Regularly. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, but maybe, maybe he's following me on Twitter. Probably <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, um, so I would say that we, anytime you have a problem, you can try to prevent it. Or you can treat the symptoms. You know, it's it's like I, I think a lot of things in a medical sort of paradigm is, or you know, if you can take a vaccine to stop from getting sick, or if you get sick, you can treat the illness. I'd rather take a vaccine. It's cheaper. There's less trauma in, in any number of ways. So while I support SROs and I will vote for that bill, I actually think we need to go at this from both sides, both the prevention and and well, I guess they're really both prevention, but but one of them's a little more um, a little earlier in the process. Is your is your red flag bill going to be supported by any any of the Republicans it's, over there? It's a work in progress, <laughs> okay. I would say. Um, at this point, uh, I would say it's more of a conversation starter this year. You need a presidential visit, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, you alluded to it, the daylight savings time right, bill. Sure. What's what's going on with that? Uh, we just hit daylight savings yes, we time. Did. <laughs> and so um, wildly popular, maybe the most popular bill really I've ever. Sponsored. But yet one of the most confusing bills to right. introduce oh, in oh, yeah. the legislature. Okay, so I've just seen... briefly tell us what, what your okay. bill is going to do. Okay, so you know, there's the, noon is when the sun is directly overhead, but you can call it or shift your time any way you want to, right? Um, and we've done that, this this whole daylight saving time thing, which was instituted, well, and it's it started in Europe and Austria, and it's been in the United States on and off in various forms for, for decades. Long story short, right now, we're, we're actually shifted about, I believe, an hour from what the sun would tell us is, is the, the, the normal time. And so everybody gets an hour of extra sun in the afternoon. So in the summers, everybody gets to go out and you know, swim or play Ride golf their or, motorcycles, yeah, I've heard. Yeah, yeah. yeah, with helmets in <laughs> yes, Tennessee, I might add. Um, in the winter, we go back to standard time. We, we fall back, and then it starts to get dark really early. So my proposal is just never fall back. So it's trickier than it sounds. I mean, and it sounds, you know, just, hey, flip a switch. We're bordered by eight states. We have two different time zones. And if you, we did this during some parts of the year, some parts of our state would be on Atlantic time zone, which I think puts them like in the same time zone as Bermuda and like Greenland or something <laughs> like that. And so it's not, it's not as easy as just flipping a switch. Florida just passed the same bill, and it's being proposed or considered in over 30 states right now. Hmm. President Trump as I said before, <laughs> came out and he said he was fine with staying on daylight saving time the, the entire year round. So where I'm going with this, I might be able to pass the bill because it is so unbelievably popular. This session? Yeah, I think I think I'm, there's a decent chance it passes, but it has to be approved of by the federal government, which is, that's not part of the bill. That's just fact of the matter. And secondly, I would also, I think, probably put a trigger that of our eight surrounding states, some number would have to also approve it. Hmm. So we would go sort of lockstep with five or six other states. What a legacy for you to have if yeah, this passes. Well, yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, my tombstone will be, that I can see it right now, the, the man who made daylight saving time year round. <laughs> 
Well, thank you again for coming on. We uh, appreciate your time. And, uh, you know, good luck uh, at the Preds game. Yeah, thank you're you going to be playing soon. Yep. Uh, any last said. predictions for the Preds in the playoffs? So I honestly think we have about 10 games to go. And I think the, the team has been somewhat complacent and because they have so much talent. And I think they're about to hit the, the sort of the desperate button. And I think over the next six or eight games, we're going to see them amp their game up. And I have pretty good optimism will go far in the playoffs the tampa bay lightning in the east are beasts however it's going to be really difficult to win the cup but hey if i just i just want to win 16 games so you're a terrible predictor of legislation's fate but hopefully you're better at the uh, sports so we'll see thanks again senator for coming on you bet in this week's notebook dump The governor's SRO bill, which is a $30 million bill from the administration that would place school resource officers and roughly 500 schools statewide that currently don't have them, is advancing in the House. It moved out of the education committee this past week, but not without some pushback from several GOP lawmakers. Uh, From here, it will go on to the finance committee. A bill that members of the LGBTQ community uh, have said is sort of a bathroom bill 2.0 sailed through a committee in the House this week. It was a subcommittee. Uh, It will be essentially amended or it was amended uh, to remove language that some say targeted uh, folks that are transgender. Uh, This language was removed, so it sort of allayed some temporary concern about it. But overall, uh, members of the LGBT community and their supporters are at least keeping an eye on this bill and many others. As many as 100 clergy came out uh, on the day of this recording uh, to express concern about some of this slate of legislation. A controversial bill that would limit the authority of community oversight boards around the state has passed from the House. Uh, The Senate has another version of the bill that does have an amendment allowing for some cases of subpoena power, while the version the House passed does not allow that. And finally, Tennessee's lawsuit against the federal government over refugee resettlement is set to be taken up in the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, For those that may not recall, uh, Tennessee lawmakers approved a resolution in 2016 ordering this lawsuit, essentially trying to stop resettlement in Tennessee. Uh, The state opted out of doing its own program in 2007, but it continues, resettlement continues today under a uh, group called Catholic Charity. Uh, essentially, this lawsuit wants to force the issue. Um, the state had its case dismissed in federal court, and now it is the appeals process and will be taken up on Tuesday in Cincinnati. Uh, and I will be there to hopefully report on what happens. As always, thanks for listening this week. You can find us every Tuesday on iTunes, so please uh, continue to rate us uh, and share these uh, you know, weekly podcasts with others so we can spread the word of what we do here. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Grand Divisions 3. Uh, thanks again. I'm Joel Eber. And I'm Natalie Allison. See you next week.